That's a clown question, bro. Hi, what's up, Anya? So I'm gonna kick some dirt. He gets on base. Just a bit outside. I'm not the type of player that's gonna be Johnny Hustle. If you don't want me to watch the ball, you can go get it out of the ocean. And welcome back to the show to be named later, episode 44. Hope you enjoyed uh, the Sandy Koufax part one of episode 41, talking about Sandy Koufax. Uh, I am your host, Chris Rianta. Over there on, on the other side of the screen is Daniel Curran. Uh, we are, are going to be talking about the 2005 Astros in mm-hmm. this part of the episode. Daniel, what, uh, what was the status of the Astros heading into the 2005 season? Well, in 2004, they went 92 and 70, and they were one game shy of the World Series. They lost a game seven to those St. Louis Cardinals in that same division. And things didn't look too good for them based on their offseason. They lost Carlos Beltran, who was a midseason acquisition the previous year, in free agency to the Mets. And he produced a 4.5 B war in 90 games for them uh, in the previous season. So that's obviously not a guy you want to lose. They also lost Jeff Kent who had 3.4 baseball reference war for them in 04. So you lose two of your big bats. However, you do re-sign Roger Clemens, who, granted, he was 42 years old at the time, but he had just won a Cy Young in the previous season. So that's a guy you want to keep, and they did. And going into the season, they felt good. You know, they, they had a lot of expectations. They wanted to take that extra step and get to the World Series. And they would have to overcome a terrible start. Houston, we have a problem. On May 27th, the Astros were 16-31. and 31. That was the third worst record in all of baseball. And they were last in the National League Central. 15 games behind the first place Cardinals. One of the worst parts about this, as if 16-31 isn't, isn't already bad enough, they were 3-22 and 22 on the road. 3-22, and 22, that is a 120 winning percentage. That is atrocious. I also, on May 8th, what? It would, be, it would be funny to see how many pitchers hit better than 120 yeah. during this period. Yeah, honestly. Yeah. Um, on May 8th, they lost the game to the Braves 16 to nothing, and it was tied for the most lopsided shutout loss in Astros history. They have been around for 44 years at this time. Yeesh. And when I, when I looked deep into, you know, the individual stats, it didn't take me long to figure out what the problem was. It, it, it was the offense. The offense had a league-worst 78 weighted runs created plus at this point. They were also last in hits, runs scored, and RBIs. Uh, however, there was a couple good things that happened, uh, just individual games. On May 15th, third baseman Morgan Ensberg became one of six players to have a three-home run game that season. And Roger Clemens, the guy they re-signed, he was definitely not part of the problem. Uh, he was 3-2. and two. feel bad for him for being 3-2. and two. With a 1-1-9 ERA at that time. Uh, also a 2.26 FIP, a 2.95 XFIP, and a 2.5 wins above replacement. All of those led the majors. The Astros were a solid 3-7 and seven in his starts. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. Not not getting any, could not buy him any run support. Roy Oswald during that time was five and six, losing losing record with a three two three ERA. Not great. And on June first, the Houston Chronicle, their their local newspaper, pronounced them dead. 
with the front page of the newspaper showing a tombstone with the Astros logo on it saying, RIP Astros season, April 5th, 2005 through June 1st, 2005. The front page listed the following, quote, the cold hard truth. Yes, there are 111 games left on the schedule, but the Astros might as well start thinking about next year. It's off. So the Astros officially pronounced dead, but things start to turn around uh, from June 8th on. They went 23-8. and These Houston Astros went 23-8 and from June 8th through the end of the first half of the season, which was the best record in baseball in that time span. So they went from 16 and 31 all the way to 44 and 43 at the end of the first half. They were second in the National League Central, 11 and a half games behind the Cardinals. The Cardinals were dominant uh, down the stretch in, in the 2005 season, but the Astros were right behind them. They were five games behind the uh, wild card leader in 2005, and Morgan Ensberg, Roger Clemens, Roy Oswalt, and Brad Lidge all represented the Astros in the All-Star game. Pretty representative of the team that three of the four uh, players were pitchers for the Astros. And that leads into Brad Lidge striking out the side uh, in the seventh inning of the uh, All-Star game. Here's a one-two. And another nasty pitch that gets away for a moment from Loduca. One out. Let's check in with Kevin Kennedy. It hasn't been. I hope uh, all the, everything that happens is on the field. One-two pitch. There's kind of a foul. A foul tip yeah. for the strikeout. Perfect seventh. Eighth inning All-Star game. 7-2 AL. So there you have it. Brad Lidge making his mark in the All-Star game. There we go. Sec by the way, second straight uh, show featuring Brad Lidge. Make mm -hmm. sure to check out our 2008 Phillies episode. Good episode over there. And the Astros pitching was a full win better. Back to the stats uh, through, the, through the end of the first half from uh, June 8th on. The Astros pitching was a full win better than every other team in the majors. And they also led the, led the majors the entire Major League Baseball in FIP with 3.43, home runs per nine with 0.7, and they were tied for first in strikeout percentage with 20.1. The bullpen also had a 2.1 F war, led the majors, and they had 10.14 uh, strikeouts per nine, which also led the majors. And the, uh, the entire staff clearly up and down up and down the pitching staff was unbelievable. Roy Oswalt went 6-0 with a .96 ERA. Also, had 1.5 F4 over 46 and two-thirds innings pitched. Andy Pettit went 3-1 with a 2.43 ERA. Also had 1.4 F4 over 40 and two-thirds innings pitched. Roger Clemens, the, the third part of that Three-headed monster went 3-0 with a 1-1-0 ERA and 1.1 F4 over 41 innings pitch. 
Brad Lidge was also spectacular. You know, you have your starters, and then you have a dominant reliever coming out of the pen in Brad Lidge. Brad Lidge had 15 strikeouts per nine, which led the majors at 20 strikeouts in 12 innings pitch. That led the majors from June 8th through the end of the first half. Had a 1-5 ERA and a .44 FIP. And uh, that led the league, obviously. And, I mean, I, the, the things that must go into a .44 FIP, I cannot imagine. Yeah, just, no, that's, that doesn't happen. You just do not see that. You just really do not even, see that. Even it. if it was over, you know, a month-long span. Yeah, over one game, that's, that's impressive enough. Yeah. And Chad Qualls, you know, another, uh, another man in the bullpen, he had 10.29 strikeouts per nine over 14 in his pitch, also had a 1.29 ERA and a 1.38 FIP, which was third in the majors, uh, one, behind, uh, one behind Brad Lidge. And Dan Wheeler, another man in the bullpen, uh, had 9.24 strikeouts per nine over 12 and two-thirds innings pitched during the span, had a 2-1-3 ERA and a 1-9-1 FIP from June 8th through the end of the first half. Also, with the Astros in this stretch, 13 out of 147 qualifying relievers had a sub-2 FIP. That's 8% of the league. And three out of those 13 guys were, in fact, Houston Astros. So they were... They were making a mark uh, in their bullpen, unlike beforehand. And the offense as a whole slashed 275, 342, 444, 786. Uh, they were third in the NL and OPS, first in stolen bases. Uh, also, Morgan Ensberg had a 1.9 F war during the stretch, which was tied for fourth in the majors. He also slashed 293, 396. 681 for a 1077 OPS. He also had a 439 WOBA. Interesting difference between his on-base percentage and his WOBA, meaning he's slugging the ball, and he had a 171 weighted runs created plus. Lance Berkman, you know, the one of the stars of this offense for a long time, he slashed 336, 444, 522 for a 966 OPS with a 157 Weighted runs created plus. And 39-year-old Craig Biggio, he slashed 322, 395, 530, 925, uh, 925 OPS there. Also had 100 and, 144 weighted runs created plus. I mean, this, this whole offense was just getting it done through this stretch. And... The, uh, this leads to Craig Biggio. Craig Biggio sets the modern day, the all-time hit-by-pitch record on June 29th. An unreal, <laughs> unreal moment here in baseball history. You know, we can't get the single-season walks. We can't get the all-time walks record, but we got the hit-by-pitch record here. I'll take Craig it. Biggio. Take a look. Roll the baseball as he did last night. And Biggio now owns the record all to himself. A grimace. And maybe a grin for a moment. 268 times he's been hit in his career. That is a new major league record. He shared it for 24 hours with Don Baylor. And some Astro fans know 
of the record. Did that mess up? Did something come up in the middle there? It froze in the middle for me. Okay, I'll start that over. All right. ...to throw the baseball as he did last night. And Biggio now owns the record all to himself. A grimace. And maybe a grin for a moment. 268 times he's been hit in his career. That is a new major league record. He shared it for 24 hours with Don Baylor. And some Astro fans know of the record. And well, stand and applaud. And the ball shot all the way over into the Rockies' dugout. He asked for it to, to be thrown to their dugout, and it was. But you know what? Think about the left side of his body. It's well, been black were, and blue he, he, for two decades. So unbelievable, you know. It's one of those things where, you know, people ask you, where were you June 29th, 2005? Where were you when Craig Biggio broke the all-time hit-by-pitch record? I mean, we had been, you know, people have been tracking it for years and years, and to have it finally culminate on that day in Colorado, nonetheless, you know, a hitter-friendly park, of course. Yeah, you know, a, a, a podcast we like to listen to, they always ask their guests, you know, it, go back. You have the choice to go back one moment in baseball history. I think mine is June 29th, 2005. Craig Biggio breaks the all-time hit-by-pitch record. I mean, that, I think that's far, far ahead as number one for me. I mean, I feel like you could do a Barry Bonds breaking the walk record, so you can get a video of it and have the only recorded uh, tape of Barry Bonds breaking the walks record, because that yeah. video cannot exist. Yeah, because I think uh, it was on July fourth too. We just passed the anniversary of it. Yeah, it was. It was in two thousand four or something. Was it? It was during that ridiculous offensive stretch. Yeah, it was, and apparently they didn't have video before two thousand four, so they couldn't show yeah. the uh, the walks record being broken. Unfortunately. Yeah. 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 I probably I mean, this is two thousand five, so we we just luckily got it in. Yeah, that that it was really it's real grainy footage, <laughs> but yeah. And also, back to the to to, the, to this uh, unbelievable stretch by the uh, Houston Astros. They went 23 and eight during this stretch, and uh, it was partially because of you know performances like Ensberg, Berkman, Biggio, and also 23-year-old rookie Willie Tavares. He had a 3.28 average during this stretch, uh, and turns out, you know, they were just kind of getting started. Yeah, so, I mean, if you thought 23-8 and eight was good, from July 18th to July 30th, they went 13-1. and one, And their pitching was ridiculous. A 1-5-2 ERA led the majors. The next best was 282. They were about a run and a quarter above everyone else. And their pitching had an F4 of 2.6. The next best in the majors was 1.6. They were one up on everyone in a 14-game stretch. Starting pitching, starting pitching had a 3-F4. The next best in the majors was a 1.9. Uh, starting pitching also led all of baseball with a 1-6-1 ERA. The next best was 2.58. The Astros during the stretch never gave up more than four runs. Uh, in any game, and Roy Oswald was one of the big pitchers during this. 2-0 with an 0-5-3 ERA. 
in 17 innings pitched. If you think that's good, how about Andy Pettit, 3-0 with an 0-4-1 ERA in 22 innings pitched. Pettit and Oswald were the top two NL starters uh, in ERA at this time. Also, Wandy Rodriguez, the number five or you know, four or five starter in this rotation, 2-0 with a 2-3-7 ERA in 19 innings pitched. And of course, Roger Clemens, 2-0 with a 1-3-8 ERA in 13 innings pitched. The offense as a whole slashed 288, 342, 478, 820. And the big, big, big performer at this time was Lance Berkman. He slashed 377, 468, 811 for a 1279 OPS, 525 Woba, 227 weighted runs created, plus also a 6.5 strikeout rate. Pretty good. Wow. So now, in the last two months, it is time for the Astros to shock the world. They went 13 and 14 in August, not ideal, but they entered September with a 70 and 62 record in the wild card hunt with the Phillies, Marlins, Mets, and Nationals, basically the entire NL East. And on September 14th, the standings were as follows the Marlins were leading the wild card at 78 and 67, the Phillies were 77 and 68. The Astros were 76 and 68. The Nationals were 74 and 71. And uh, the Mets did that thing where, where they're the New York Mets, you know, Chris, that thing that they do. Uh, they did that and they choked themselves out of the picture, unfortunately. Dang. So from that point on, these teams finished their seasons by going Marlins 5 and 12, Nationals 7 and 10. So, you know, it's all looking good. These teams are flailing, but then there's the 11 and 6 Phillies. Phillies were ahead of the, the Astros, so the Astros would have needed to go 13 and 5 over their last 18 games to win the wild card and make it to the playoffs. Well, let's fast, fast forward to October 2nd, game 162. Pitch on the way. Bouncer. A line drive to Kroklik. Leaped up, grabbed it. This game is over. Wild card. Here we come. How else would you figure to end, to end this season but with two runners in scoring position and the opposition hitting a line drive that had to be caught? That's how it ends. Wow. They're starting to celebrate at Minute Maid Park. Let's enjoy the atmosphere. Your totals are on the board. The Astros, six runs, 11 hits, two So, Phil Garner and the Astros are now heading to the playoffs. They have come straight from the grave from the Houston Chronicle, and they are going to the playoffs. Yeah, an unbelievable, unbelievable regular season. I mean, you know, we don't have a lot of, a lot of footage, but – that doesn't back downplay the epicness, the, mm -hmm. the epic, epicity, epicness of <laughs> this regular season. It was, it was unbelievable. I mean, they, they were 21 and 35 at a point and they finished uh, 68 and 38 to make yeah. the playoffs. Not it's bad. crazy. And you know, how, how funny is it that, you know, there was a, a, a team just like that last year, but the, the big performers of the uh, big performance of the 2005 Astros in the regular season, 
first, of course, you got to start off with Roger Clemens. Uh, he went 13 and eight with, you know, and don't let that 13 and eight record fool you. He had a one eight seven ERA, which led the majors. And his ERA was never at any point above two. And it is the only age, only uh, age 42 plus season ever with a sub two ERA. And it is one of two six plus F4 seasons by a player age 42 or above. Uh, one, yeah, one of two six plus F4 seasons ever by someone age 42 or higher. Also, uh, Roger Clemens led the majors in ERA plus with 226. He led the league in FIP with 2.97 hits per nine with 6.4, and he finished third in the Cy Young voting and 22nd in the MVP voting. Also, Roger Clemens was not the only stud in that rotation. Roy Oswald went 20 and 12. With a 2.94 ERA, he became the first Astros pitcher to have two straight 20-win uh, sub-3.5 ERA seasons. He also had a 144 ERA plus, and he was fourth in the Cy Young voting and 23rd in the MVP voting, right behind Roger Clemens in both. And Andy Pettit, uh, finished the season 17 and nine with a 2.39 ERA, which was second in the majors, and he ended up being fifth in the Cy Young voting, uh, right behind uh, Roger Clemens, or right behind Roy Oswalt, who was right behind Roger Clemens, and 24th in the MVP voting, right behind Roy Oswalt, uh, who was right behind Roger Clemens. They're all in a row. All right in a row. How fun is that? And Brad Lidge was spectacular with a with going 42 for 46 and save opportunities. He also had a 229 ERA, a 185 ERA plus, and he finished 30th in the MVP voting. The Astros pitching staff led the majors in XFIP with 3.84 and F4 with 22.6. And the Astros starting pitching led the majors in ERA with 3.46. Morgan Ensberg on the offensive side, he slashed 283, 388, 557 for a 945 OPS. And he set single season records for Astros third baseman in home runs with 36. The previous record was 25. RBI with 101. Uh, walk percentage with 13.6. Isolated power with 274 on base percentage with 388 slugging percentage with 557 the previous best was 495 OPS 945 the previous best by an Astros third baseman in a single season was 847 he was almost 100 points better than the next best guy uh, Morgan Ensberg was also the uh, set the single season record for Astros third baseman in WOBA with 399 Weighted runs created plus with 144, F4 with 6.1, and that resulted in him being fourth in the MVP voting. I think all that deserves one. How about 
and Lance Berkman. He, you know, Morgan Ensberg was not the only great offensive performer. Lance Berkman slashed 290, 293, 411, 524 for a 935 OPS. He had a 399 Woba, and he had a 144 weighted runs created plus, just like uh, Morgan Ensberg there. And Berkman also finished 14th in the MVP voting, top 15 there. Uh, even as a guy who's not known for his defense, his offense put him over the top. And Craig Biggio at age 39, he went 264, 325, 468 for a 792 OPS. And his slugging ranked sixth among second basemen, that being as a 39-year-old man. And Willie Tavares, uh, the rookie, as you may remember, he had a 291 average, and he finished second in the Rookie of the Year vote. And that leads into the postseason. So the Astros square off in the National League Division Series against the Atlanta Braves. And the Braves actually won one more game in the regular season, and the Astros were also the wild card. So, of course, the Braves are going to have home field in this series. So game one. The Astros were winning 5-3 to three in the top of the eighth. Jeff Bagwell, he was on this team. He had an RBI single with the bases loaded. Two batters later, Morgan Ensberg drew an RBI walk. Then a run scored on a wild pitch. And then Orlando Palmero hit a two-run single. That is a five-run eighth inning, and that would be the dagger for that game as the Astros win it 10-5. to five. So now in game two, Roger Clemens gets roughed up, and he gives up five over three innings. And the offense could not figure out John Smoltz. The Braves would even up the series in game two. So now going into game three, Oswalt pitched seven and a third innings pitched, allowing three runs as the offense completely surged. Craig Biggio became the oldest player to ever have three doubles in a postseason game. Morgan Ensberg also hit two doubles, and Mike Lamb hit a home run and drew two intentional walks. The Astros would win that game 7-3, one game away from the National League Championship Series. So now, in game four, third inning, the Braves have bases loaded and two out, and Adam LaRoche comes up looking to give the Braves an early lead. Going to be some noisy minute made par. The swing of a high fly ball, right center field, driven deep. Tavares racing back, turning around, it sails, it is gone. That's a grand slam for Adam LaRoche. And just like that, 4 nothing Atlanta. LaRoche hits the daylights out of it to give the Braves a four zip lead and a very, very quiet minute made, as it turns out. As the Bra so Brandon Backey giving up the grand slam. The Braves are now up 4 nothing, looking to force a game five in Atlanta. So the Braves score again two innings later on an Andrew Jones sack fly. It is now 5 nothing. The Astros did, however, answer of the sack fly with a sack fly of their own the next half inning from Orlando Palmero. And the score would remain 5-1 to one for a while. But then in the top of the eighth inning, Brian McCann from the Braves hit a home run to make it 6-1. The Braves' winning percentage was now at 98%. In the bottom of the eighth, Brad Osmus walked, Eric Brunlett singled, and Biggio grounded out. But then Luke Scott walked to load the bases with one out for Lance Berkman. 
Swing and a drive, left field. High, Leonard has Yeah. It changes. Swing and a drive, left field. High, Leonard has Terrence. It's gone! Grand slam, Berkman! Berkman brings the Astros back into the game. It is a 6-5 Braves lead. So now skip to the bottom of the ninth. It's still 6-5. The Astros are down to their last three outs. Unfortunately, Kyle Farnsworth comes in for the save, and he gets the first two guys, but then Brad Osmus comes up with the Astros down to their last out. Fly ball way back in the left center field. And back up into that wall. No, it crashes back off the wall. Osmus is headed. For it's a homer. It's a homer. It's gone. It's a homer. A delayed call. It came back on the facade. You thought it was in play. Oh my gosh. Home run, Osmus. Six six at Minute Maid Park. This ball maybe hit an inch above that line, left of the 404 mark. Unbelievable. Or I will get a picture. It is literally a game of inches, Chris. Yes. That's why, you know, you don't want people bending the rules. It is a game of inches. It is. So the game goes into extra innings after Osmus ties it up down to the last out. And now after Chad Qualls, Brad Lidge, and Dan Wheeler all pitched multiple scoreless innings, Phil Gardner had one more big weapon available for them deep into the 16th inning. Clemens comes out of the bullpen for the second time in his career. The payoff pitch. In there for strike three, and Franco's hopping mad. He thought he had ball four. Struck him out. Langer has another rookie getting in. Swings, little fly ball right center field. Counting on Bundit, he'll make the catch. And Roger Clemens pitches his second relief inning. Of course, he's working on just two days rest. Question how long he can go. Stung, bobbled over there by Chavez. The rocket gets there in time, though, for the out. One away. Here's the 3 2. Swing and a miss. He struck him out. The rocket blazing away. Andrew Jones getting a running start. Swing and a miss. He struck out Frank Hoare. Another K in the book for Roger Clemens. Folks, that is a 42-year-old man on two days rest grinding to help the Astros get to the National League Championship Series. Of course, in a tie game, they were just one run away from not only ending the game, but ending the whole series. So now in the bottom of the 18th, Chris Burke comes up looking to end it. Pitch. Swinging. Lining it to left. It's gone! It's gone! It's gone! Chris Burke! Holy Toledo! What a way to finish! Chris Burke just purchased the ticket to St. Louis. Look at the mod. Unbelievable. 
So the Astros are now going to the National League Championship Series. They are facing those dreaded Cardinals who beat them in the division and beat them in the NLCS last year. Let's look at the big offensive performers from this series. Lance Berkman was the big one. 357, 500, 643 for an 1143 OPS. That was his slash line. Craig Biggio had a big slash line. 316, 364, 526, 890. Willie Tavares, the rookie, 357, 400, 429, 829. Also for pitching, Brad Lidge had four shutout innings. So now let's go to St. Louis. Game one, not the, not the greatest start. Pettit gives up five runs over six innings, and Chris Carpenter goes eight and allows two. Simply outdueled them. Cardinals would win that game five to three and go up one and nothing in the series. Uh, but the Astros would fire back in game two. Roy Oswalt, big-time performance. Seven innings pitched, five hits, one run, three walks, six strikeouts. The Astros got RBIs from Biggio, Chris Burke, and Adam Everett. Lidge recorded the save in a 4-1 Houston win. Now in game three, we're in Houston. Clemens pitches six innings of two-run ball. This game was scoreless until the bottom of the fourth when Mike Lamb hit a two-run home run to put Houston on top. The game would later be, later be tied 2-2 two two in the bottom of the sixth, and then Jason Lane hit an RBI single, and Everett hit into a fielder's choice. And that would be all the Astros needed as Lidge recorded another save. The Astros went up 4-3. to three. So now we're in game four. The game was scoreless until the top of the fourth when Albert Pujols hit a sack fly for St. Louis to make it 1-0. In, in the bottom of the fourth, Jason Lane came up trying to tie it. His career turned around since coming to St. Louis under Dave Duncan. In the air, left field. Is this enough? Yes. Jason Lane ties up the game for the Astros. The game would remain tied until the bottom of the seventh when Morgan Ensberg came up. In the air, right center field. Edmonds in medium depth right center makes a catch. Here's a throw to the plate. Tavares will score. And a sack fly from Ensberg, his first RBI in the series, has given Houston a one-run lead. So the Astros are now up 2-1 to one in the game, and it's up to Brad Lidge to record the save. So in the top of the ninth, did not get off to a good start at all. The Cardinals had men on the corners with no out after singles from Albert Pujols and Hall of Famer Larry Walker. So Reggie Sanders came up with the tying run on the third and no outs, trying to give St. Louis the lead or a tie. Behind going to the lid. And a tapper down to third. Here comes the runner. Here comes the throw. Third. I'm not sure a time has been called on the field. 
Hensburg threw his hands in the air as it's a call time. And what do they do now? Wow, that's a great heads-up play by Larry Walker if he gets to... So a big-time play there from Morgan Ensberg to keep the runners from scoring and keep the game tied. But the game was not over yet. There was still one out in the inning, and John Mabry was the next batter for St. Louis. And the pitch. Ground ball right side. They're not going to be able to turn two, or are they? Throw is in time! What an unbelievable turn by Brooklyn and Everett. And they cut down Mabry to win the game. And the Astros lead this National League Championship Series three games to one. Eric Brunlitz, an outstanding middle infielder. A huge, huge play to win the game for Houston. If they don't get that double play, the tying run scores, and we go into extra innings. So an absolutely insane, timely play by the middle infield of Eric Brunlett and Adam Everett. And the Astros are now up 3-1, to one, one game away from the World Series. So now we're in game five. The Cardinals were leading 2-1 to one in the bottom of the seventh. Biggio reached on an error, then Chris Burke singled, and then it was Lance Barkman time. Caught in center, a single to right center after drawing a walk his first time up. In the air, left field, it might be, it is gone! Berkman gives the Astros a 4-2 lead. They are on the brink of the World Series. Now, in the bottom of the ninth inning, the Astros are one out away from their first all-clack in franchise history. However, there were some runners on, two runners on, in fact, and Brad Lidge was on to finish it off, facing Albert Pujols, who was the go-ahead run. 0-1 Pujols. In the air, left field, and Pujols has given St. Louis the lead. A dramatic, towering three-run home run. Stunned in disbelief here in Houston. A single by Eckstein, a walk to Edmonds, and how about Albert Pujols? He got the so the Astros get their hearts broken in game five. The Cardinals win five to four, and they've got all of the momentum on their side going back to St. Louis, even if they're down three games at two in the series. So in game six, you need a big performance, and you get it from Roy Oswalt. He goes seven innings pitched, three hits, one run, one walk, and six strikeouts. Jason Lane hit another home run, and also Everett, Ensberg, and Biggio had RBIs. And in the ninth, it was Dan Wheeler trying to finish the job. Now Yadier Molina. Wheeler, the pause in the pitch. Fly ball into right field. And for the first time in Houston Astros franchise history, they will play in the World Series. 
the 2005 National League champion. We said it the other night, they like everything big in Texas. It doesn't get any bigger than this. The Houston Astros have come from beyond the grave to the World Series. They had all the momentum sucked out of them in Game 5 from Pujols, and they brought it right back to St. Louis and won Game 6 on the Cardinals' turf. Yes, I mean, yeah, I mean, it kind of defines the team. Once you think they're kind of down and out, you know, even though even though they had the series lead, I mean, yeah. the Cardinals had so much momentum because, A, Pujols hits that absolute dagger that create, you know, a mammoth shot, which you can hear more about in episode 35, first half. Shout out to that Albert Pujols episode. Mm -hmm. But anyway, yeah, you know, St. Louis had the momentum, even though Astros had the lead because the Cardinals had just won that game, come from behind, and they were heading back to St. Louis. But the Astros, just like they did all of 20, uh, 2005, uh, they come back for sure. Right. So Roy Oswald wins NLCS MVP going 2-0 and with a 129 ERA, also an 08.085 FIP, or I'm sorry, an 0.85 whip, not FIP. 12 strikeouts in 14 innings pitched. Lance Berkman, 286, 400, 524, 924 OPS in the series. Chris Burke, uh, a 300, 333, 550, 883 slash line for him. How about Jason Lane? He, had a, he did have a 238 average, but walked a lot for a 333 OBP, 524 slugging for an 857 OPS. Also, Willie Tavares, Craig Biggio, Adam Everett, and Brad Osmus all hit at least 300 in the series. Chad Qualls went four and two-thirds innings pitch with a zero ERA. Also, Brandon Backey went, had a 1.59 ERA in five and two-thirds innings pitched. So now they're heading to the World Series, their mm -hmm. first World Series ever in their 44-year history, as you saw in the Fox graphic. And in game one, it's... Roger Clemens on the mound for them. They're ace, but unfortunately, Roger Clemens gave up three runs over a two-inning start, and the Astros actually were able to tie it uh, on a two-run double in the third by Lance Berkman, tying the game despite Roger Clemens's rough performance. However, the White Sox later scored on a home run by uh, hero Joe Creedy and a uh, triple by Scott Podsednik, and the White Sox won 5-3. By the way, if you want to hear more about the 2005 White Sox, we did an episode about them, second mm -hmm. half of uh, episode 33. Be mm -hmm. sure to check that out. Some, some cross-referencing here on the, on the show to be named later. I feel like that's going to happen a lot uh, later on. But also, in, they uh, move on to game two, the Houston Astros do in game two. And the Astros took a one to nothing lead in the second on a home run by Morgan Ensberg. The White Sox answered with two in the bottom of the second, and Berkman tied the game with a sack. Lance Berkman tied the game with a sack fly in the top of the third. And the game would remain tied until Berkman came up again in the fifth inning and produced a two run double 
giving them the 4-2 lead. And then in the seventh, the Astros were still winning 4-2 until Paul Canerco hit a towering grand slam to make it 6-4. So the energy being sucked right out of the Astros once again. When the Astros had to rally in the ninth inning against closer uh, Bobby Jinks. And, and uh, yeah, they had to rally against Bobby Jinks in the ninth inning. And Jeff Bagwell did what he needed to do uh, to get this rally started in the ninth inning. Bagwell into center field. Rowan will not get there, and the Astros have a leadoff hit in the ninth. You can see Pierzynski setting up. Up. Did you notice that pitch was outside, and then like the Fox picks tracker said it was low and in? <laughs> yeah, I don't. That was yeah. that was definitely not the spot it was at. Definitely not. No, <laughs> that's terrible. But anyway, Jeff Bagwell, he gets that single. He does what he needs to do. And then uh, eventually another man gets on. Jose Vizcaino comes up with two on, but he's also coming up with two outs. So it's do or die for Mr. Jose Vizcaino. We'll see how he handles the situation. Vizcaino coming up or one hit away. Potentially tying this game, but two out in the ninth. There's Caino, a base hit to left. One run scores. Here comes Burke. Throw home. Safe, and the game is tied. There's Caino delivers. 6-6 six, six in the ninth. What a slide by Burke. He got his hand in there to tie it at six. On the first pitch against Bobby Jinks, this Caino delivers. The throw by Podsednik toward the first base side, just a hair. And you're right, the slide, the hand on the plate ties it in the ninth inning. So it's a tie game, some, some clutch hitting and some bold base running. Yes. It's them tying the game in the ninth, giving them a shot to maybe tie the series, heading back to Houston. But unfortunately for Houston, they got Scott Podsednik, the man of zero regular season home runs up to the plate. But mm -hmm. unfortunately, he had been saving them for moments like this in the bottom of the ninth. Podsednik hits one to deep right center field. Back at the wall. This ball is gone. Podsednik goes deep. His second home run of the postseason. Sox win it seven to six. So the Astros cannot get their hopes up there. They lose that game seven to six, and they're down two games to nothing, but fortunately they're coming back to Houston. And they got off to a hot start in Houston. They went up quickly, going up four to nothing on singles from Lance Berkman, Craig Biggio, Morgan Ensberg, and then a home run from Jason Lane. The White Sox 
though, responded with a five-run fifth inning. And in the eighth, Jason Lane tied the game with a two-run double, coming back just like the White Sox did, making it 5-5. to And the game went deep into extras. I believe it was the longest longest World Series game up to that point, right? Yeah, it was. It's it's since been surpassed, but yeah. It has since been surpassed. Shout out Ian Kinsler. (laughs) But uh, deep into extras, Jeff Blum comes up and is only at bat of the series and hits a home run in the 14th inning uh, that gives the White Sox a 7-5 lead. And the White Sox win that game 7-5, to five, uh, giving them the three nothing, 3-0 three to, three to zero series lead. And in game four, uh, the Astros need some good pitching from Brandon Backey, and they get good pitching from Brandon Backey. He goes seven innings, allows five hits, no walks, resulting in zero runs, uh, along with seven strikeouts, with a game score of 74. And unfortunately for the Astros, they could not score at all against Freddie Gar- Garcia. They, the score was 0-0 zero to zero in the eighth inning. And Brad Lidge, unfortunately, allows a two-out RBI single to Jermaine Dye. And that would do it. The White Sox win one to nothing, and they win the World Series. But... There were some key performers for the Houston Astros in that series. Lance Berkman, slash 385, 526, 538, 10.65 in that World Series. And throughout the entire postseason, he slashed 333, 468, 563, 10.30. With two home runs, uh, 14 RBI, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I actually wrote innings pitch. Sorry about that. Uh, I'll redo that. <laughs> so Lance Berkman slashes 385, 526-538-1065 in that World Series. So it definitely wasn't Lance Berkman's fault. And throughout the entire postseason, he slashed 333, 468, 563 for a 10-30 OPS uh, in that entire postseason. With two home runs, 14 RBI, 14 RBI in 14 games, along with 12 walks, 12 walks in 14 games. Mm-hmm. And rookie Willie Tavares was very good uh, in the World Series. He slashed 333, 412, 600 for a 10-12 OPS. And throughout the playoffs, he hit 349 with an 869 OPS. Mike Lamb uh, in the World Series uh, had a 933 OPS in 12 plate appearances. And Chad Qualls uh, had a 169 ERA in five and a third innings. So this team, they did not win the World Series, but they have a pretty great legacy, specifically with the fact, like I mentioned, they came back from the dead. Like, you know, you can metaphorically say that they came back from the dead, but their newspaper literally put out an article with the tombstone that said RIP Astros season. So that's when, you know, you prove all your doubters wrong. They did exactly what they needed to. They made all the right moves. <laughs> the pitching was incredible. I mean, they're starting pitching with Clements Oswalt and Pettit, as well as Backy and, and Wani Rodriguez. Uh, just solid all around. Also, Bradley in the bullpen. And this season 
was an emergence for Morgan Ensberg and a continuation of greatness for Craig Biggio. That was my takeaways from this team. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it is a fun, it's a fun, fun team for sure. Uh, yeah, they played, you know, obviously the joke, the joke is, you know, we included this team because there's another Astros team that we don't speak of. But this one was legitimately fun, especially with the, you know, the wild comeback uh, in the standings. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, I don't think there were a lot of teams like this because, you know, before 1995, there wasn't the opportunity for a wild, wild card team. Yeah. So it's kind of the first team. Yeah, I mean, if this was 10 years earlier, they literally would have been dead on June 1st. Yeah, they literally would have been dead. You know, back to, you know, Sandy Koufax's time, you had to be the best team uh, in your league. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, the Astros, you know, from June 8th on, they were the best team in their league, and that led them to, you know, postseason success. So, yeah, a, a real a real fun team, uh, no doubt. Exactly. So, anything, anything more on the uh, – on the 2005 Astros. Astros. I mean, a lot of a lot of hidden good names that were big in the playoffs too. Like obviously Chris Burke is the guy who hit the hit the home run. Jason Lane, of course, had a big postseason. Also, 26 home runs in the regular season. Adam Everett had some big moments. Eric Brutlett uh, helped turn that huge double play. Uh, who who are some guys I'm missing? Brad Ausmus with that homer uh, down to the last strike against the Braves. And of course, Willie Tavares coming out of nowhere as a rookie and and doing what he can of course finishing second in the rookie of the year voting uh, a lot of big names that stepped up in the playoffs for sure and mike lamb too mike lamb is another one that i didn't mention also you talk about the entire you know the entire team just transcending you know from june 8th on it wasn't just the offense it just wasn't just the starting pitching wasn't mm-hmm. just the bullpen everyone was yeah. really improving and you know that's kind of what it takes to have mm-hmm. a a turnover like that Shout out to Phil Gardner for for being able to handle that and being yeah. able to manage that turnaround. Yeah, a very good, uh, a very very good turnaround. And you know, it w- it would have been nice to have more uh, more footage of that turnaround. But yeah, what are you going to do? We got we got the all time hit by pitch record. That's all we need. Yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah, after that, we're just kind of nitpicking from there. <laughs> but yeah, that leads to our favorite. Mm-hmm. Our our favorite part of the episode, uh, for us at least, I, I'm hoping I'm hoping it isn't the audience's favorite part of the episode. You know, the end of the episode. I think it's fun for them though. I would think it was it was fun the mystery for, for everyone listening there. But yeah, um, yeah. So for those unaware, uh, because you know we mid March we kind of knew there wasn't going to be a a season at all. So, or not a season at all, but a season for a, for a long period of time, a long period of time. So we, we decided to put 30 players and teams that, you know, I put 30 players down that I'm interested in talking about. And Daniel put 30 teams down. He was in, interested in talking about one for each we, franchise, one for each franchise. And, uh, you know, we, uh, we decided and we, uh, put all those players and teams into uh, we randomly assign them to numbers through computer randomization. And then we pick a number one through now it's one through 20 because we've eliminated 
every five weeks we eliminate five the five players that we did just so that we don't pick the same number every time mm-hmm. and uh yeah that's pretty much where we're at also this next week is going to be our last history episode for a while because of course the major league season is starting up uh we're going to focus solely on on the current season at hand and then when the off season starts we're going to continue so this this next uh week of history it's going to be the last one for a while but it is not going anywhere we are going to finish this list and also we're going to be halfway through after next week yes we will be halfway through and then we will uh remodify our uh our list go, yeah. go from one through 15 exactly it's going, be inter- it's going to be interesting when uh whenever we come back to it it's it's going to be uh yeah we might be a little rusty i don't know well, we're gonna to have to look back at these old prep sheets yeah yeah um, all right, so I'm picking first this week. You are you're picking first this week? I am. All right, go ahead. What what player is going to be our last uh, last player before the 2020 season? It's going to be player number 10. Ooh, I'm I'm glad you chose this one. Player yeah. number 10. Player number 10 is definitely an under the radar guy and and sometimes Perfect. I like That's my favorite. And sometimes I, uh, I like to look at stats of guys and look at some how about that's uh, for some guys before we even choose them, just, just out of curiosity. And I believe this, is the, this guy has the highest position player war for a guy who never led the league in position player war. Wow. And this is probably because he played with guys like, um, you know, Willie Mays, uh, Frank Robinson, and even on his own team, he had Hank Aaron to worry about. And this man is Eddie Matthews. It is Eddie Matthews. Okay. Wow. Yeah. yeah. It's a good one. That is that is an under-the-radar one. I like it. Yes. Yes. I'm looking forward. Yeah. And also, he was a guy that uh, – he was like the uh, one of the original like great third basemen. Yeah, there weren't a lot of great third basemen before Eddie Matthews. He was one of them. Yeah, so it's your turn. Happy you picked that one. All right. Yeah. So now, the uh, the last team we are going to be talking about uh, before the beginning of the 2020 season is going to be uh, team number. Um, have I picked three yet? You have not picked three. We're going to be talking about team number three next week. So this week with the, two, the 2005 Astros, we talked about a team that we also talked about a team that they played in the playoffs. And we're going to be doing the same thing next week. This team was also kind of dead to rights. Not, not to, the, to the degree that the Astros were, but they had a big, big uh, midseason acquisition that bolstered them. And that is the 2015 New York Mets. Oh, wow. Yeah. Remember that time Yolanda Cespedes like almost won NL MVP when he only played two months in the NL? Yeah, he had a he had a, a, a time there, and he was yeah, he did that was his he had a great half season. They also had Jacob Degrom. They had Noah Syndergaard in his rookie season. They had Daniel Murphy. With they had Bartolo Colon, of course. We get to talk about him. I mean, who doesn't love to do that? Oh my God! Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was Cespedes' fourth team in like 13 months. Yeah. Yeah. It was unreal. Yep. 
So that is going to be our next week, Eddie Matthews and the 2015 Mets. Yeah, that's gonna be a that's gonna be a fun one. Actually, I have my my Red Sox Cespedes jersey right here. Oh, there we go. There we go. Yeah, I mean, he was. People were literally like making calls for him to win NL MVP. Yeah, there it is. is that... <laughs> he played on the Red Sox for two months in a season, in a completely lost season. Yeah, I got this off. Uh off uh, Modell's clearance, I believe. Okay. Also, I have some personal experience. I went to a game uh, right before the trade deadline, like just before they got Cespedes, where they got shut out, complete game shut out by Kershaw. And it, that was like the big low point for them. So. Oh, sick. That's great. Yeah. Yep. You, and you got to see a, a Kershaw shutout. It's pretty and cool. And Bartolo pitched that game too. It was like the Oh, well, that's the, big, that's the big part. Yeah. yeah I haven't seen lost this helmet out of swing. What was that? He lost his helmet on a swing once that game. <laughs> Sick. That's awesome. All right. So that's it. We also we would like to thank Baseball Reference, Fangraphs, and MLB on YouTube for their contributions to the show. Like always, these shows don't happen without them. Don't happen without them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Shout out to shout out to all those things. And uh, that leads to the conclusion of episode 44. Hope you enjoyed both Sandy Koufax and the 2005 Astros. Uh, if you want to, if you are uh, on, listening on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and want to watch the YouTube videos with us, uh, come on over to our YouTube channel and subscribe to that. Like our videos. The YouTube channel is called STVNL with Christianta and Daniel Curran. If you want to follow me on social media, follow at Chris underscore Gianta on Twitter and follow mm-hmm. Daniel on Twitter at Twitter and Instagram at Daniel underscore Curran. And if you want to follow the podcast on Instagram, go to our Instagram at STBNL podcast. Got some good stuff over there. Yeah. And that is the end of the episode. Hope you enjoyed our Sandy Koufax 2005 Astros episode. And we look forward to seeing you on Wednesday when we are talking Eddie Matthews. And on Friday, when we are talking about the 2015 New York Mets, see you then.